Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Linda G., who is the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages at the Diocese of Orange. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Rick. And if you would be so kind as to lead us in a brief word of prayer, I'm sure our listening audience would be very appreciative. Absolutely. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving God, we thank you for this day, this period of Advent, where we get to eagerly await your coming again in hope. I thank you for friends and family who gather during this time especially. And I pray for your mercy and compassion to also be felt among us, because I know that you want us to know that always. Bless this time of conversation and learning and fellowship. And I thank you for all of the faithful whom I get to serve each day. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for that. You are the director for pastoral care for families in all stages, which is a kind of a mouthful to, to get all out there. Linda G. What is the office of pastoral care for families in all stages? So in many dioceses, it has a much shorter name. It's usually just called marriage and family life. Okay. <laughs> um, but the, the pastoral care for families in all stages comes from, uh, John Paul II's uh, Familiaris Consortio, which talks about in detail the fact that family life is in stages and that there are differing pastoral needs across those stages. So I think it's a helpful way to look at the work of the office. Um, so we cover everything from the foundation of the family, which is marriage and preparing for marriage. And then it goes in all the way to the end of life and then everything in between that you can experience as a family, parenting, all the challenges and losses that may come with that, uh, serious illness, and how we can accompany people experiencing those stages. And then after a loss of a family member, what it means to grieve. We also touch bereavement ministry, ministry for widows, and any kind of loss, loss of children, loss of spouses. So I like to see our office as the part of the church at the diocesan level um, that reminds people of the hope that we have and how God created us to be families and to also connect us to places of healing for those times when our families are not experiencing God's design for family. This sounds incredibly important, especially at times like now in the year where we've got Advent and Christmas is both joyful for many, many families and young children who are anticipating the the coming of uh, Christmas itself. But this is also a time sometimes for many families of great struggle where the struggles seem to have magnifying glasses put on them at this time. 
where if we're out of work or we've had a loss, it seems lonelier and it seems like we have less in our pockets to be able to provide more. We may not have wanted to buy all these different things, yes. but now we know we can't. <laughs> yes. Or we really genuinely can't. And I take it that your office is very concerned with all those families at this time. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's part of the message that we all try to convey as the church. Uh, there is great hope in the coming of the Lord, but especially in our secular society, there's a lot of attention drawn to things and people kind of hurt silently or quietly. And um, so some of the ministries in our pastoral care office are there to uh, actually provide space for families to hold their pain, but also let go. For example, um, we always really try to promote our hope and healing after abortion ministry at this time of year, not because we hope that a lot of people are in that position, but because we know that there are. There are. And uh, we want them to know that we're here. And as they remember lost children during this time, because this is one of those times you remember, we want them to know that we're here to accompany them um, and to remind them that healing is possible. Wow. So, and I think if you actually listen to the prayers in our liturgy during this time, all of this is alluded to. So if you're not listening to all of the holiday music on secular radio, <laughs> although I love all of that, and it's very joyful. Yeah, and, they're just too it's, early. It's, it's all Christmas <laughs> music. And yeah. I think turn it off on Christmas when it should be turned on. Right, right. Anyway. It's, it's a little out of order, yeah. but it's, and it's happy. <laughs> Um, but if you do listen to some of the other things that you could be listening to right now during this time, whether it's in our litur- in our liturgy or um, in our readings, it, it's not all. It's an acknowledgement that Christ isn't here yet. We're in the not yet, mm-hmm. and and for those families that are experiencing loss and grief, this is the time to really bring that to Christ and and seek the healing and hope. And I hope that we as church. Um, can do that well. And I know there's a lot of things going on and a lot of distractions, but that's what we're here to do and be for our families. So let me go ahead and see if I can understand how your office then works. You're a small office, but your job is primarily to empower other groups and people like the pastors who are the primary givers of pastoral care in their, in their parishes. So your job is is kind of grease and glue. You are also an empowerer. You're able to try to coordinate. You're able to try to bring things together. Is that pretty close to how your office works? On a good day, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Honesty. This is good. (laughs) Yes. So I don't have a direct counterpart in parishes. So I try my best to... um, Well, wait. let's, Let's understand that for a moment. So... We've had other people on here from other uh, parts of the diocese, from other uh, diocesan uh, chair people. So if they're involved, they, most of these people have someone in the parish that they would directly contact in order to get their programs out there or to empower their programs. So faith uh, formation would be involved with the DRE or whatever. You don't really have just one person in most parishes that would be the pastoral care coordinator other than the pastor. Yeah, not in this diocese, at least, and not in very many, um, to be honest. So I think there are maybe a a few parishes in the country who have an actual pastoral care person. Um, But yes, so I get to I get to work with a lot of different people. 
but it does make communication a, a bit trickier. I also get to cast a very wide net. And so in that way, I also get to see the Holy Spirit move in different individuals and bring them out um, to join our various ministries. So that's always inspiring. But I do I do try to support our pastors in what they're doing in terms of pastoral care. And then I also try to identify those at the parish whom I can best support. So in in other words, not to make your, your um, workload any heavier, your job is to reach out to pastors and other people that do pastoral care in, in, in parishes, which is a wide range of people, and to empower them. And there are pastors out there or maybe deacons or other people that perhaps could be reminded that there's someone in the diocesan office that is there to help empower them to do those kinds of things. Because you have access to other people, to resources, to networking in order to be able to to help them accomplish pastoral care and its complexities. Yes, absolutely. So if we're looking then at people in pastoral care, um, we've got pastors and we've got lots of people who are involved in different ministries. Those ministries are often mental health. They're often involved with people who are grieving or who are sick or who have uh, other issues. Marriage preparation, we, we talk about that often very joyfully, but it's a very serious thing because if it's not done well, our divorce rates go up. Yes. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, and we don't have very much time to talk about it, but what got you interested in pastoral care? Why did you take on this role as being the the chairperson of pastoral care for families in all stages? What's your background? So I'll answer the background question first because that's easier. Okay. <laughs> um, Get your resume out there. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm actually, I've been in this role for a little over a year and a half. And just prior to that, I was working at the foundation, the Orange Catholic Foundation that supports the diocese, mm-hmm. more in terms of fundraising and financial. They do. Tremendous support. work, especially for schools. They raise, yes. they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to help empower Children who otherwise would not be able to go to school in Catholic schools to be able to go. Yes. Fantastic job they do. Very, very important. So I was very blessed to be with them for a little over three years. Um, And then prior to that, in a previous lifetime, I was a youth and young adult minister in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Oh. Um, And I I did that because I had done studies in pastoral ministry. I have a Master's of Divinity. Um, and all of that. Oh, where'd you get your MDiv? The Jesuit School of Theology, now of Santa Clara University. At that time, they were the Jesuit School of Theology of, of Berkeley. You were up at the GTU. Yes. Ah, that's I where was. my Master's of Divinity came from. Oh, great. But I was a Presbyterian at the time many years ago. It's another story. We won't <gasps> I go took there. a really great Trinity <laughs> class at the Presbyterian School. Let's not get too sidetracked. <laughs> it would be easy to do. But anyway. <laughs> all right. So, the GTU is an interesting place. Yes, it uh, is. Uh, got a great library. They do, um, and a great view. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit about me. In terms of this position, I can't say I jumped into it because I wanted to. <laughs> to be honest, when I first saw the job description, and I can't remember why I was even looking at it, I looked at it and I thought, this is crazy, and I <laughs> closed the Too window. Many things. Yeah, <laughs> just, who could possibly do this? Oh, God needed to call and, a little louder. <laughs> and I didn't. And I didn't think about it again. Um, but long story short, several people encouraged me to do, do anyway. so, and so I think in that process of discernment, and even as I was speaking to 
the interviewers and the bishops in the process, I think I came to the conclusion that if if God wanted me to do this, and I, I would, and that's still what I'm operating on today. As long as God wants me to do this, I will. But anytime I'm allowed to go, I'm I'm okay with that because it really is such a big, it's so big that I can't, yeah, it's something I can't it's hold huge, on to. It's a huge thing. But you would not have gotten involved with the Masters in Divinity program at GTU if you didn't feel a call toward ministry of some sort. Since the people who go for a Masters of Divinity as opposed to an MA in Theology, they want to do hands-on ministry generally. And well, even there, though, and this kind of maybe tells you a little bit about me more than I'd like to reveal, but <laughs> <laughs> I actually had started with the Masters of Theology program. Okay. Uh, but at the Jesuit school, they have such a robust support system for the divinity students mm-hmm. that I switched over because I really wanted to take advantage of all the great things that they were offering to the students in that It's a great track. immersion program. It really yes. Is. So in some ways, I begrudgingly entered ministry, but I keep on seeing to be called back. Oh, God keeps calling people <laughs> so, begrudgingly all, all the time. Let, let me go ahead and stop you for a moment. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Linda G., who is the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages at the Pastoral Center, the Diocese of Orange. And I'm Rick Howick, your host for Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Orange County Catholic Radio coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Linda G., who is the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages of the Diocese of Orange. And we were talking about two things in the last segment. One was the, the office itself and what it covers, which is a huge amount, much of which is very important during this time of Advent and Christmas and yet it's kind of amorphic in some ways because there, it isn't one of the offices that has a direct chain of command, so to speak, down into the into the parishes. And then we were also talking about your call, which was was very interesting. It was it, I, one, of, one of part of my background is also in a school that you've attended, so I, I do know I've taken some coursework at the Jesuit school. Uh, most of us try to avoid most of the coursework at the Jesuit school because the professors there were much harder. Although I did take an independent study from um, Sister Marianne Donovan back years ago. I loved her. <laughs> good, good person, especially in early church history. Yes. Um, I'm not sure how much she loved me, but that's okay. Uh, bottom line is, no, I'm sure she loved me. She prayed for me, I'm sure, a lot. <laughs> but we're talking about how your ministry is being realized now, as you said, almost reluctantly, which is so familiar to so many stories I hear about people going into ministry. I mean, this is like Peter. Peter had no intention of going into ministry, I'm sure. You know, get away me from me, Lord. For I'm fish. A sick, yes. <laughs> so now you're here and you're empowering ministry in the Diocese of Orange at the at the parish level. You've kind of hinted that it's almost a little overwhelming. Is it a little overwhelming for you at times? Just a little. Okay. Just a little. But it's very important and I see that in my life, of course, and in my own family, but also uh, an interesting thing about having been a youth minister all those years ago, now all those kids are getting married and starting families of their own. So in in a sense, I I get to travel with them a little bit in my ministry focus with them and kind of beyond them too, of course, since I'm supposed to be looking towards the end of life and all that too. So 
so that's been a really great perspective. And it, I know everything that I'm doing is real. And that's really important, I think. And so even though it's overwhelming, it's really real. So let's go into some of the nuts and bolts. Um, one of the things that you are involved with directly is marriage, marriage preparation, to make sure that we avoid marriage dissolution <laughs> and all of that. How does that work for your office? Because I know that there's so much involved in marriage preparation. Is yours the only office that deals with marriage preparation? Are you kind of the catch-all for marriage preparation? How does that work? Yes. So the Office of Pastoral Care is primarily responsible for marriage preparation in the diocese. And in the past, when this office had many more staff members, it was a centralized process where all the couples from all the parishes in the diocese came to the pastoral center and did their preparation coursework there. Pre-Cana, 50 couples, and you're having a weekend. Doing it every weekend or whatever it was at the time. Um, That's no longer how it works now. It's just me. Um, And there are But they don't meet with you. No, No. not necessarily. (laughs) Not necessarily. Really, the the priest or deacon who is preparing um, or who will be presiding at the couple's um, wedding is usually the one that directs the couple's preparation for marriage. And then we have different opportunities all around the diocese for couples to either take classes or courses. And then my office also tries to provide some tools and encourage priests to use them to better prepare couples for marriage as well. So when a mari- when a, when a couple um, who has fallen in love, which often has more to do with hormones, but we won't go there right now, uh, approaches a pastor, a priest, or a deacon, and um, says they want to get married. There's automatically going to be some requirements that are thrown in there, but it sounds like the process has also got a a, a more tailored, individualized format than what it may have used to have. That's what I hope for. I hope that, uh, and I think that's what most of our our clergy hope for as well, that, that they have that time and capacity to sit with each couple and determine what is best you know, maybe which marriage prep course would be best for this couple and to really walk them through that process. Uh, we are currently trying to implement a more mentor-based approach in our parishes. We're using a program called Witness to Love, which was developed uh, out of out of Louisiana. And it's really, it takes a catechumenal, we're getting a sponsor couple that the engaged couple chooses, not assigned, to walk with them in their journey. And that's an idea that I'm trying to get our parishes to adopt. It does require a little bit more work, but it has been proven to be very fruitful in other dioceses. This sounds like an echo of of our Holy Father when he talks about the need in many different situations for accompaniment. The idea that we would have priests and mentors and people within our parishes accompany people. Right. You so do not walk alone. No, and it's not marriage is not something that you can learn in a parish hall with I don't know, PowerPoint slides. And even our best prep courses are taught by couples, you know, who are really sharing their experience. So the idea is to get more of that preparation process to be experiential and building a relationship because really marriage is a relationship. Well, I, we hope so. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but it, you know, you want to be able to build that relationship as well as other relationships around you that can continue to accompany you throughout your, your married life. And this hopefully also results in engaged couples 
establishing roots at a, in a parish community because they're not just meeting with their priest or deacon. They're also meeting with these other married couples in their parish. And so that there's more of a, a feeling of home at that parish. So when you're talking about a, a, a couple coming through and they're going to be involved with this mentor, there's also, I take it, a, a catechetical part of this as well. One of the problems we have in our society is that it's not a Catholic society in general. And therefore, the idea of marriage is uh, quite broad, even amongst many of our Catholics. Oh, yes. <laughs> to what it is and, and really what it isn't. How do you approach that aspect of it? Since you're no longer doing so much of the, the, the formalized weekends, how do you make sure that these couples have been engaged with this being a lifelong commitment of oneself selflessly? Uh, it's not 50-50, it's 100%. Right. I mean, how do you go about doing that? So for those parishes that are adopting Witness to Love, there is like a, like a program book that walks through the virtues and all of these different aspects of married life for both the engaged couple and the mentor couple. And then there's also a, a weekend, or not a whole weekend, but maybe a half day, full day retreat component to the program. So they are it. getting all the content. Does that come together then with multiple couples when they do the weekend? Yes. Is that organized here or is that organized in deaneries, or how does that use? So work? we only have a few parishes, actually. We only have one parish that's really off and running with this and a few kind of in development. But, yes, that would be if a parish has enough couples to do it themselves, they would coordinate it at that level. Probably more likely it would be at a deanery or kind of a cluster neighboring parish level to coordinate that weekend event. Um, but that's partially why I'm here to figure that out. This. Yes. Well, and that's something I want to make sure our listening audience knows. If you're involved with marriage in involvement or marriage enrichment or marriage preparation, and you're not engaged fully as a parish yet in this program, witness to love. Witness to love. Witness to love. Then perhaps talk to your pastor about talking to Linda about how to be more fully engaged in that so that you've got the support that you need as a parish to be able to to link in with all the resources that the diocese is willing to give you, and then to link up to have more of these parishes that are out there. And we've got at least one that you're willing to put on the chopping block and sacrifice and lift up and say, hey, look at this. They're willing to, I take it, have people talk to them and yes, how does no, it work? Uh, Deacon Russ Mosba and Jody, his wife, are at San Antonio de Padua in Anaheim Hills, and they've been doing it for over a year now, because they started, I think, in February of 2018. And they've seen great fruits in their parish community as a result of this marriage preparation program. So they're very eager to share the good news. <laughs> so we've got lots of, of help available for parishes that want to be more involved in this. Yes. Because this is so incredibly important. We still have in the United States some of the highest divorce rates that are out there amongst Catholics. Yes. And especially in Orange County. Um, I think the last I heard was something around 70 percent, which is just... Awful. Um, Absolutely so, incredible, of which people are shocked to hear that the numbers for Catholics, I mean, that's generally the number for, for secular. Right. number for Catholics is not that far behind. Right. It's almost the same. Right. Which means that we have a number of people who are not being well prepared, and that's kind of what this program was designed to do. Yes, and I think one of the really important aspects of this program is really understanding that marriage preparation, it doesn't just end at your wedding day. It really, it's a formation that goes and continues after a couple is married. And that's why they need that mentor couple there to work through some of those early 
rough patches. So <laughs> this is that. kind of the mystagogia stage for yes. marriage, so to speak. Yes. So we put all this effort into our CIA, and you've got this formalized program where people meet, and you get a mentor, and you you go through, and then when you've been baptized and and uh, confirmed. You then go through a mystagogia stage as well, and we don't often do that very well in marriage. This no. program does that. Yes, so that's very intentional. And so that's why I am encouraging parishes to do this. I realize not every parish has all the resources and, and manpower to kind of run with it, and that's why you know we're not mandating it or anything like that. But this is a really excellent way of doing marriage formation that um, has produced really good results elsewhere, and so that's why I'm, we're encouraging parishes and our pastors to really seriously consider this. Um, and in the meantime, we also have some really great marriage preparation courses. I mean, one thing that I think we're tremendously blessed by is just a lot of our volunteer married couples who put themselves out there and really want to engage our young, engaged couples and share their experiences and knowledge and help with the catechesis and help with all of this uh, to improve the state of marriage here in the Diocese of Orange. So we're working with all these different tools and we're just really doing our best and hoping the spirit will move us um, and bring us what we need. Uh, but I think as we move forward, especially and and these younger generations are getting married, we've got to do what makes the most sense for them. One of the things we want to avoid when in making sure that we, we focus on this kind of a process is marriages that then come apart. We're talking about marriage in the Christmas season, and in, in, well, we're not quite there yet, but in Advent and Christmas, and that puts a magnifying glass on a number of things. When we come back, I want to make sure that we've had a chance to talk a little bit about this, those kinds of stresses, what happens with marriages during this time especially, and what your office is able to empower in parishes to help meet the needs of families that are in crisis or families that have that magnifying glass on the problems and pains that can accompany the season. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Linda G., who is Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages, which actually is a great title coming from John Paul, that uh, the title actually comes from Familiaris Concertio, and it's a beautiful title in a way. We should be proud of that title. Yes. And we're going to come back and talk about some of those stages that can be a little more difficult, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Linda G., Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages. And that's a diocesan-level position, though your office itself is actually pretty small. There's there's you, and then you share someone in the office, and you have another person involved in mental health. And I want to talk a little bit about how your office is still able to empower people, especially as they're going through the stresses of this time. We were talking earlier, uh, two sections ago, about the problems with Advent and Christmas is that it can create a huge amount of expectations, especially when things are not going as well as we would like, when we've uh, lost a job or lost a loved one, or a marriage is in crisis or has fallen apart or is no longer there. And the trauma that can be only gets magnified for many people during this time. So small but mighty office of pastoral care in all stages what does your office do with people who are going through 
problems during the season or these seasons? Sure. So I just want to mention that very rarely do families directly call us. And if they do, I'm usually directing them back to all the great things that are happening in our parishes. And although very few of our parishes do everything, as a collective, our parishes really do a lot of things to support our families in need. So your parishes actually coordinate with each other, they cooperate with each other. So there'll be programs that'll be going on at one parish that members of another parish are encouraged to become part of. I think especially with some of these ministries that deal with specific areas of loss or yeah. uh, grief or you know whatever it may be, Yes, I I don't know of any parish that doesn't welcome somebody else um, to their group. Or I their... say that, and it might sound obvious, but for some people who are going through trauma, it can be very, very, very hard to get out and go do something about it, to get that ball rolling and to have the courage to go to a group of strangers you don't know at another parish. Although I can see the case where that could be a good thing. Yes, and actually I was going to say that. For some, that's that's a blessing. You Maybe you don't want to show up um, at a support group at your parish because you you're not ready to yeah. share it with your, your specific community. So that's one thing that we really try to do in our office is to make sure that we know what's going on in our parishes so that when we do get calls directly, or if a parish asks us, we don't have this, but we really need to know where you know, some kind of support is happening in this area, we can properly direct them. So in one sense, we're a a big information hub. Um, I also help support times when maybe clergy have specific situations and they don't know the resources that are available to direct a family. And so I can assist with that. Um, because that's what I'm trying to stay on top of all the time. So priests call you. you. Priests can call me too, okay. and sometimes they do. Or they'll send their couples or, or, or parishioners um, to ask about specific questions. So I, I try to stay on top of all that information and keep that current, not only what's going on in our parishes, but also in the community so that we can make sure our families with their various needs can find the help that they need. So what are what are some of the things that you have that you specifically are very involved with? I, I know you mentioned that there is a, a part-time mental health director of sorts in your... Yes. So our diocese has been blessed to receive a grant from the Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry at the University of San Diego. And we're one of the first grant recipients in their first cohort to do so. And with those funds, I, we've been able to have a a mental health ministry coordinator who is dedicated to really building up mental health ministry teams in our parishes. So we have about, I think, six pilot parishes, if you will, who are identifying leaders and being trained on different aspects of mental health and bringing various activities to their parish. We don't have a a set agenda necessarily, but um, our coordinator, her name is Dr. Marjorie Arnold. She helps them kind of assess the needs of the parish, what would make most sense, what trainings or information nights or uh, community contacts are necessary so that families that are dealing with mental illness or any kind of a mental health episode even could reach out to someone and get some assistance. These are not clinicians or therapists, although some of them can wear that hat too professionally, uh, but really the purpose is for there to be a place in the parish where people can come for some help, for prayer, where there isn't shame and some information. And then 
broadly, I think also the ministry teams are trying to reduce the stigma around mental illness in our parish community so that families aren't hiding. They're not uh, uncomfortable with coming forward and asking for help because mental health affects a lot of people. I think it's something like one in five adults will have some kind of diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. Or is it at any given time? It might be it's a lot. A, it's a lot. It's a lot of people. So I, I like to paint the picture. You know, if you have 10 people sitting in a pew, probably two of those adults are dealing with some kind of mental health issue right now. Yeah. So we can't expect families to walk through what could be a very difficult and dark journey by themselves. We had a, a bishop out in the Midwest not long ago take a leave of absence uh, and was public about taking leave of absence because of depression that was related to some of the illness that he has had, and he wanted to go on the record that he has a mental health issue, and it's it's like a physical issue. Uh, in this case, it's a chemical imbalance that uh, he's on medication for, and he's taking a leave of absence in order to make sure that the treatment is going well for him before he comes back into his office and, and is doing things. We don't generally approach things that way, but God bless that bishop for doing so, it's hard to have people. We're so, you know, we we have a great deal of pride in our mental acuity. Yes, and that's really hard for us to admit that we might have something that might be chemically off balance. And while we won't have a problem taking medicine for for too much cholesterol, or having a, a heart issue or blood pressure, but we will for having some sort of uh, a chemical imbalance in the brain. Yes, and a lot of times families who have members who are dealing with mental illness have the same needs as families with members who are dealing with any other kind of physical illness, like cancer. And But a lot of times we, we call mental illness like a the no-casserole illness where no one's offering to provide some food or give the you a no ride to the hospital or like send it. flowers or <laughs> offer prayers. And But these families in many situations actually need that same level of care from their community. And this is one of the more extreme times that that is going to come forward. Right. Just as a matter of, of practical uh, help, if people right now who are listening either are experiencing depression problems or they know people who are, what would you recommend that, that they do about it from a pastoral perspective? I would say do something. <laughs> First thing is so don't just sit there. Do something. Right. Do okay. something. Um, and, you know, all of us go through mental health issues at some point mm -hmm. because we have our highs and lows. Anyone who's fallen in love and then fallen out of love knows what it <laughs> is to have a mental imbalance. Right, they right, all do. right. So and some of us are able to bounce back very and quickly. And I've got teenage daughters. I know what it's about. <laughs> well, and actually, you know, mental health is a very, very serious concern with our young people these yeah, days, too, just with yes. all the things that are. The suicide rate is huge. Yes, yes. So. I would definitely say that you please do something, even if it's something that you get over tomorrow. There's we, an emergency hotline available here on the, at the Diocese of Orange that has been operating here since before the Diocese of Orange. Yes, the New Hope Crisis Counseling Center is there 24-7. It's 1714-NEW-HOPE. We've had them on before. It's been a while. We should have them on again and chat a little bit more. But we've had them on before. They were here when Robert Schuler ran the place. Yes. They were the first ministry in this building. And they're the reason why the Tower of Hope is called the Tower of Hope. Wow. But if we have other people who are not necessarily suicidal, but there, there are usually programs either in their parish or their parish will know of parishes that have programs that are going on 
that can help them, even if it's just to direct them to where they can help get help. Right. So that's what we're trying to build in our mental health ministries in our parishes. Um, and I also wanted to highlight, I mean, New Hope isn't just for crisis. I think a lot of people call just because they need to talk to mm-hmm. someone. It's not just for the the suicidal necessarily, because I think some of us are in those extremes, but a lot of us aren't. And it's still okay to ask for help. And even if it's just to say, look, this is what I'm dealing with right now. Can I just chat for a little bit? I just could use someone to talk to. Yes. There are a number of people out there who find themselves alone at this time, whether it's because of age or because of divorce or because of death of a spouse, number of reasons for that. And this is a very difficult time to go through that. So to have those resources available could be very important. So when we're looking at how this time and your office works within the parishes, your job really is an empowerment. It's to try to make sure that all the information that's out there amongst these different programs that are in the diocese all come together for the pastor and for people that the pastor is appointed to help take care of the needs of the people. Right. And then when there is a, a parish that identifies a need that they're not fulfilling and they want to move forward to build a grief ministry or a ministry to those who are divorced and separated, then they can come to me and say, how do we start this? What's out there? What do we need to do? And then I can also help them discern and connect them to what they need to build that kind of a ministry for their parish community as well. So that's another way I serve. Um, Our office tries to serve our parishes, not just to connect them to what else is going on, but if they want to start something up because they've identified a need in their own community. That's very interesting because one of the things that is usually characteristic of old bureaucracies is resistance to new ideas. And you're saying (laughs) publicly to the entire world out there, please come and tell us what your needs are and let's, let's brainstorm together how we can solve the problems, even if it means doing something new. Right. Well, and, and sometimes it's new and sometimes it's not so new, but let's try to find the one that fits and what the one that makes the most sense for what your needs are. So I curate, if you will, a lot of different ministry programs and packages and books and speakers and all kinds of things. And so when a parish wants to do something, I can help them discern, you know, which one makes the most sense for us. That's fantastic. When we come back, I want to make sure that we've talked a little bit more about a couple of the other items that you do. Uh, You also are involved with what happens if marriages go fully wrong and are no longer there. So you help empower people that are going through a divorce And you also empower people who have done things in their lives that they regret tremendously, such as abortion and abortion care. When we come back, I want to talk about some of those topics, because those can also become some of the most difficult to deal with at this time in the year when people are celebrating. And all it does is put a more stronger magnifying glass on some of these people's lives. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm talking to Linda G., who's the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages, and we will be right back to talk about some of these issues and how our diocese is handling them head on. We will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Linda G. And before we go any further, I want to make sure I take a moment to thank you very much for coming in. She has been talking to us as the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages about a number of different, very difficult topics that her office takes care of. 
that uh, she empowers a lot of people. It's a small office because there isn't a cadre of people in parishes that answer directly to her. On the contrary, her job is to coordinate, facilitate, collaborate, and empower people across the board, starting with the priests and pastors and deacons and everyone who does pastoral care in all of its stages, much of which is very difficult, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to talk a little bit during this season about what your office does, because your office really does handle a lot of things that become magnified sometimes during the Advent and Christmas season. We were talking a little bit about that, and I wanted to make sure we touch on a couple more negatives before we go into kind of how this is really the hope of Christ. Your office deals with a couple more things. It deals, I know, with divorce, divorce recovery. What does that look like? So we partner a lot with Catholic Divorce Ministry for that, um, and we have a really great uh, group of people who lead groups and workshops in our parishes. Uh, we uh, also, is that a how-to as to why you should go get a divorce, or is it... No, no, no. no. It's for people <laughs> who are experiencing divorce in various stages or separation, or, I mean, even those who have lost a spouse through death are also welcome because sometimes the grieving parallel. So this is, is at parallel. The, the point in the process where we're no longer looking at salvaging the marriage primarily. We're looking at moving on. Right. Now that we've determined that there is no longer going to be a physical marriage. Right. Okay. Well, we have things for before that, too. Um, right. And so we that, were talking about folks, that last well, section a little yes. bit, but... <laughs> So you have marriage preparation, but you also have pastoral care and you have mental health and you have lots of other things that you can empower people as they go through. Yes. And we have um, things like Retrovi uh, is a retreat experience for marriages that need work. Marriage Encounter is still going on in the diocese. A great retreat experience for couples, not necessarily in crisis, but just to enrich your marriage and your relationship. Um, we also have a list of marriage and family therapists that we vet so that folks who need a little bit more individual professional attention can get the help that they need in a manner that respects our Catholic faith and they're wanting That's to be faithful. It's becoming more and more important to do that vetting. Yes. And that I actually try to dedicate a lot of time to that um, because I think it's very important and something that a lot of us need. So we have those resources available, but if, if all doesn't quite turn out the way that you had hoped and you do find yourself divorced. We do have the support groups and the um, workshops. So the plug has been pulled. The grenades have gone off. The, the marriage has ended. Now we're picking up pieces. And at this time of the year, it can be very difficult to pick up some of those pieces, especially with children. So what kinds of resources are available then for couples that are looking at divorce and recovery, perhaps uh, moving on in their life to to the possibility of a new relationship. What's out there? So that's where we just we actually just finished a series um, for for divorced and separated Catholics, and ended with a surviving the holidays time when they could really just get down and dirty with those topics of the things that can happen, mm-hmm. the things that they're experiencing. We also partner a lot with our surrounding diocese, San Bernardino, Los Angeles, and San Diego, um, and they'll host conferences that we can send our folks to for people to not just get information, but also affirmation that this is painful mm-hmm. and that the church cares that you're in pain and wants to be with you in your process of healing. And then there, for those who are looking at perhaps moving forward, 
the Catholic Church believes that there's only one marriage in a lifetime. However, there are a lot of people who get married and things stand in the way at the time of the the wedding, whether the preparation wasn't so good or there were things that were beyond what the preparation could account for. Your office also helps with the uh, annulment process. Well, not quite. We usually refer folks to the tribunal for that um, so that they can get the correct information because so each case has a lot of... the legal side of the house. Yes, yes. But you still help care for the the pastoral side of the house. It can be right. very difficult having to relive a lot of that yes. in the process. So, so that, that's also a part of it. And then we're also, we do have actually a marriage preparation program specifically for couples who are getting married after either the loss of a spouse due to death or a declaration of nullity of a previous marriage. So the, a lot of the times folks after the annulment process, when they're getting married again, um, we have a marriage preparation specifically for that situation because it's different. It's different. You've got ghosts. You've got other things going on. Right. Not in the literal sense, but, but yeah, the, the, the emotional ghosts that come back. Right. And then also just the logistics of what does it mean to blend your families with children sure. from previous marriages and and also to reinforce some of those things that can be done to hopefully make this marriage a more along the lines of what God had create, has created marriage for. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that you're able to, to do that. Your ministry can be such a downer. It sounds like there's so many things that are that are, are negative to what you're doing. How do you keep yourself so up? Your focus is obviously not just on the negative. No, no. Actually, my focus is always on the positive. <laughs> because for in all of these stages and in all of these circumstances, we have the hope that Christ reminds us that he came for, that this is our life, and it is all very real. And there our are, lives are messy. Yes, they're messy. They're painful. Some things are our fault. Some things are not our fault. And it's very hard. But Christ reminds us that there is more than this. And also that God loves us and is so merciful. And I think that's what the pastoral care office is about. It's reminding everyone of the mercy and compassion of Christ. And that the church is there to accompany you. Yes. As our Holy Father keeps saying, it's there to accompany you through all these different stages of life. Right. And that God does not abandon you. And so I actually think, I mean, the life part is messy, but what we're here for is to bring light to those things and to help people realize you don't have to stay in that darkness because Christ is our light. I mean, this is a season of Advent when we really, truly remember that in our prayer, in our liturgy, just the little decorations that we put up. (laughs) Uh, But I get to do that every day. I get to remind people of Christ's hope and our faith in the eternal life every day. And so, yes, it's painful. There is loss. And a lot of times there are things in the world that work against us, but it doesn't have to be that way. And we together can be Christ for one another. And and the church is there to help us through it. Yes. The listening audience cannot see what you're wearing right now, but you're wearing a purple and white top, which is so reminiscent of the age we're in right now where we're thinking about what they will sometimes call the pink candle, which isn't pink. It's actually rose, which is supposed to be a mixture of both the grief and sorrow of the purple, but also the joy of the white. And it's that mixture that's going on there. It's kind of like with the readings of John the Baptist when he says, are you the one we're searching for? He's scared just a little bit that he might have made a mistake, perhaps. I mean, that's almost what comes across. And yet he's hopeful that it really is. And Jesus gives him that hope. What do you see 
trust what you see, the lame walk, the blind see, the mute are able to talk, the deaf hear, all of that is what you're seeing. And that's what we're seeing in our parishes. And a lot of what we're seeing in our parishes for pastoral care is because of your office and because of the empowerment that you do in order to make sure there's grease and glue. Because the pastors who are providing all the direct care, they also need to have some of that uh, coordination, collaboration, the grease and glue to make sure it all it all holds together. For all of that, I want to thank you so much for what you've been doing. How long have you been doing this in this office? Just a little over a year and a half. Wow. Has it affected you tremendously? Probably. <laughs> I don't get a lot of time to really debrief for myself and think about that. But Ooh, yes. you need some pastoral care. <laughs> I, I probably need some pastoral care, too. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll make sure that we, we take some time to do that, but not right now. Right now, what I'd like to do is to take a moment to thank God for what we've been doing. If you'd be so kind, Linda, as to lead us in a brief word of prayer, that would be fantastic. Sure. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving God, thank you for being with us always, for bringing light into darkness, for sending your son into the world to show us how much you love us. Bless all of our families here in the Diocese of Orange. Heal us in all the ways that even we do not know that we need healing. And I pray that the word of God will really, truly bear fruit among us in this Christmas season. I thank you, and I also ask for the intercession of our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow, that was a very good session. Uh, when we were talking before we did this, you were a little reluctant about having enough, I think, to be able to say out there because you've got such a small office. But we filled an hour with a whole bunch of God's hope that is in our parishes and in our diocese in order to bring about God's love and God's mercy into the lives of those around us. And that the, those times, especially now, uh, while we are have that magnifying glass on some of our problems, there's hope in our parishes. And so we need to make sure we reach out to our parishes. Linda, I want to thank you so very much for being here again. You have been listening to Linda G., the Director of Pastoral Care for Families in All Stages of the Diocese of Orange, who has empowered so much of our of our ministries out here. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and you've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. If you would like to hear this again, you can... Download this as a podcast from OCCatholic.com. At OCCatholic.com, you can go to the radio tab and uh, find about eight different programs that we produce there. One of them is OC Catholic. And I want to thank again, Linda, for coming in, and we will see you again next week.